It's time to get real with Robin. Join veteran broadcaster Robin Cote and her co-hosts, known as The Collective, as they delve into subject matters that most are afraid to talk about, but need to hear. And now, get ready to get real. This episode of Get Real is going to be a little different. I struggled with the idea of doing this and gave it great thought. Let me explain. I've been affected by a lot of death in my life, and I've always believed that if we don't continue to talk about those we've lost, that their memory will be gone forever. The best way to honor them is to continue to talk about them, especially those that have made something out of their tragedies and turned it into triumphs in order to help other people. A beautiful woman that I was lucky enough to call a friend recently lost her battle with colorectal cancer. Kirk, Nermy, and I had planned to do a show with her a while back, but I got word from her husband that she would have to postpone the show due to her being in the hospital. She had since recovered, and we were planning on doing the show once again, but the cancer had returned. The last time I spoke to her was just a few weeks ago. Then I got the word that she was gone. Jennifer Ruddle was a true warrior. She was diagnosed with stage four colorectal cancer in 2017 with 11% chance of survival. But she fought and she beat it. She then opened herself up and shared her story on the pageant circuit, earning herself the title of Mrs. Arizona in 2020. Back in June of 2019, I had the chance to sit down and have a conversation one-on-one with Jennifer. Her message is so important that I want to share it with you all. She fought hard and in the public eye, never backing away from talking so openly about her journey through colorectal cancer. So to honor her warrior strength, here is that conversation. Thank you for being such a bright light and beautiful soul, Jennifer. We all weep at your loss, but we'll never forget what you brought to our lives. You know, I always talk about that it's not what happens to us, but what we do with it that makes all the difference. Today's show is all about taking those things in life that happen and making a difference in others' lives by being vulnerable and brave, sharing your story with the world. We never know who we will inspire by sharing our story. And this beautiful woman sitting here in my studio this afternoon is one of the most inspiring people I've ever met. She's Mrs. Maricopa County, Jennifer Ruddle. And where I originally met Jennifer was working in the independent film industry here in Arizona several years ago when we ran into each other. And I can't tell you what a pleasure it is to have you sitting with me today. Oh, thank you so much, Robin. Thank you for having me on. I was kind of expecting you to wear the sash and the crown, but you know, that's a little bit too much to do radio. Oh, no, I have it it with me. Don't worry. You do? You really have your sash (laughs) and your crown? I do. I do. so cute. I love it. But you know, Jennifer, (laughs) you've had a lot of things happen in your life. You've done a lot of things in your life. I have. So I don't want to get to 
the part where we talk about some bad stuff. Let's okay. let's kind of go back a little bit and touch base on you as a person. I mean, how old were you when you first started working in the entertainment industry? Oh, wow. I think I was around eight. Um, my mom and, and stepdad had enrolled me in a theater camp, and I just fell in love. Um, there, There's nothing to me like being on stage and seeing people and touching people, having um, some kind of emotion from people, whether it's laughter, whether it's sadness, just being able to affect people that way really got to me. And, and I knew from a young age that that was what I wanted to do in the industry I wanted to go into. So you started in theater. I did. I did. I did do pageants when I was young as well. I think that for me, there was kind of a natural um, progression there. And I started in pageants, I think around the same time. And they're much different um, at eight than they are when you're in your 40s. But I did. I did pageants from the time I was eight until I was about 18. And at that point, I, I transitioned into college and I was more focused on acting and, and starting a career. And so I felt that acting was more the route I wanted to take. So here in Arizona, I mean, I'm very familiar with independent film industry here, and it's not that easy to actually make a career, a paid career here in Arizona in the entertainment industry. Have you been able to do that actually in your life here? I have. I've been really fortunate. I've had some um, wonderful people that I've met during my time here. I've been in Arizona for about 30 years. So I started young and I was able to meet a lot of people. I've done some work that maybe I'm not as proud of that isn't very great. And then I've done some other really incredible work. And I've been fortunate to do stage, to do film, commercial, voiceover, print. I've tried to really open myself up so that I can, I don't just want to be, you know, just a theater actress. I've, I've tried to make sure that I take all roads that are available to me. And that's really helped me too. Now, I know that um, I've only done stage like in junior high and high school, (laughs) and I could never, I I know it's a little bit different than film, and I've done film since I was a kid. Now, which one do you find a little bit easier, stage or film acting? You know, they're both so different. I'm not sure. Um, I love both of them equally. Stage is so much like a family. You're in rehearsal for, you know, a month or two months at a time, and then you have anywhere from a three, four, five, six-week run So you're really with those people for long amounts of time. So you really become a family with screen or even commercial. You tend to not be on set with everybody as as long or there's a lot of downtime. So sometimes you're kind of on your own doing your own thing. But it's nice with film. If you make a mistake, the director can say cut. You have the chance to do it over again. So with screen, you really have a chance to perfect things, whereas with stage, If you make a mistake and there's an audience, you just have to keep going. So I love both of them equally. I've had a lot of friends that have done both. And I find that my stage actor friends have a difficult time going into the film world because they get bored. Really? Yeah, because like you said, it's it's hurry up and wait. You sit around for hours and hours before you actually do something. It is, yeah. And I give you guys a lot of credit (laughs) as stage actors because myself... You know, back in high school, you're only doing a little bit. But when right. you're putting on plays or you're in these big things at like the Herberger or the other theaters around the valley here or even touring across the United States, you have to learn the entire script. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, there was a show that I did a few years ago, and it was a farce, and there were about six or seven main characters, and you had to pretty much know everybody's lines because the timing was so specific that if someone dropped a line or messed up, you needed to be able to pick that up and keep the show going. But I love that. It's challenging. And it's funny that you mentioned, you know, the difference between screen and stage. I remember when I first started to move into screen from stage, the thing I always got was you don't have to yell. You don't have to scream your lines because I was so used to being on stage and you have to project to the back of the audience. Whereas on screen, you don't have to do that. There's microphones. There's no need for that kind of projection. So it is it is a learning curve going from one to the other. Now, you say that you did pageants back when you were young. So how old were you when you started that and when you actually got out of it before going back into it as an adult? Um, I started at, I think the first pageant I did, I was around the age of eight. And I did them pretty consistently until I was about 18. And then I went to college and I was focused on acting and starting a career and getting involved in the next phase of my life. And then, you know, as an adult, things happen, life happens. And I started missing that life, that pageant life. And I started to see that as an adult, the Mrs. pageants were a lot different than they were the teen pageants that I did as a child. And they were much more focused on platform and community. And that's really what I was looking for. I was looking for a place that I could share my story and I could talk about the things that I had gone through. So it seemed like a natural move for me and back into that world. When did you get back into the pageant world? Just recently, the the first pageant I, I did back in as an adult was just a few weeks ago. So it's a lot different as an adult than a child is what you're trying to say. Very different. <laughs> Very different. It's, it's a different world. I think the priorities are different. As a teen, I think there was a lot more priority on your swimsuit and your evening gown and your what you looked like. And those things are still important, but there's other things that are more important now, like your platform, like the community that you're serving and what you're doing to serve your community and to be part of, of your community. Well, speaking of the platform, you knew eventually we were going to get yes. to this. It happened in October of 2017. Yes. So tell everybody what happened to you. So in September, starting in September of 2017, um, my husband and I were traveling a lot. We do travel a lot, but September was a very busy month. We had gone to Belize for a week. We came back and we went to California the following weekend. We came back, went to Vegas the, the next weekend, came back, went to Alaska the next weekend. So it was a lot of airplanes and just being around germs, things like that. So when we came back from Alaska, I woke up the next morning and I thought I had the flu. I had a fever. I wasn't feeling well. And I just thought, oh, after being on the plane, you know, over and over and over again, I had caught, I had caught something. Which is normal. Right, right. Especially with all that travel, you know, airplane air tends to get stale. And I do sometimes get sick after I've been on a plane. So I didn't really think too much of it. And after about a week, I was still not feeling well. So my husband said, you know, it's been a week. I think you should go to the doctor. So I went to Next Care, and they put me on some antibiotics. 
went home and the antibiotics weren't helping. So another week went by and I still wasn't feeling well. So my husband finally said, okay, we need to call your doctor and you need to get in right away. So I called my doctor, went in, saw him. I saw him on a Friday morning, 10 or 11. He took some blood, gave me some antibiotics, sent me home. He called me that evening around 5.30 and he said, I don't want to scare you, but your hemoglobin is half of what it should be. Wow. Yeah, it should be around 12 or 13 and mine was at 7. And he said, you could have a stroke or a heart attack at any minute. He said, I need you to go directly to the emergency room and have a blood transfusion. So I said, well, my husband's not home. He said, I'll call him. Where is he? I'll call him. I'll tell him to come home and and get you. So he did. My husband came home and he said, you know, I talked to your doctor. Let's go to the emergency room. And I said, no, I don't think I need to. Like, let's wait till tomorrow. And my husband said, no, this is serious. We need to get you to the emergency room right now. So I did. I went to the emergency room. And I guess because of the severity of the blood loss, they brought me in right away. They got me set up. They gave me a transfusion. And they said, now we need to find out what's going on, why you're losing blood and, you know, why this is happening to you. Were you seeing any signs of this blood loss? I, you know, I was actually. I had been having some dizzy spells, but I have really low blood pressure. My normal blood pressure is 85 over 55. So that can cause some of the dizzy spells I was having. I saw a cardiologist because we wanted to make sure there was nothing wrong with my heart. And my EKG came back normal. He just told me that I needed to add more salt to my diet and see if that raised my blood pressure a little bit so I wouldn't have these dizzy spells. But other than that, I felt fine. When we were in Belize in September, I was hiking Mayan ruins. I was horseback riding. I never felt better. So I never really thought that there was anything seriously wrong other than this issue with my blood pressure. Wow. Yeah. So they they got me in. They did the, the blood transfusion. They said, let's find out what's going on. So they started asking me questions. They asked if I had heavy menstrual cycles, which I didn't. I had very light cycles. So they said, okay, well, what about blood in your stool? Are you seeing any blood in your stool? And of course, that's not something I want to talk to a doctor about. I didn't want to talk to anybody about that. Right. But I knew it was important, so I said, yes, you know, I I have had some blood in my stool. I kind of self-diagnosed myself with IBS and just assumed that that's what it was. So they said, well, we're going to take a look at that. They did some x-rays, some MRIs, and they said, you know, we found a mass. And so my first thought was, great, you found a mass. Take it out and I'll be better. So they said, well, it's not that easy. We need to do a colonoscopy and an endoscopy and see what's going on. So they got those set up. And I'll never forget waking up from the, the colonoscopy and my husband and my best friend were there. And the doctor said, you know, I took a look at the mass and I did a biopsy, but I've seen this before and I'm pretty sure it's cancer. Wow. And I was, st- I, I literally thought that he made a mistake. I said, it's not cancer. He, he may have seen something like this before, but he's wrong. It's not cancer. I'm 41. I'm healthy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. So the diagnosis at that point didn't even hit you emotionally. No, I thought for sure he was wrong. There was no way that it was cancer. So it wasn't until the biopsy came back, I think the next day, and they said, yeah, it it definitely is cancer. And we need to take a look and see if it's spread anywhere. 
So I'm going, of course it didn't spread anywhere. What are you talking about? Like, I don't even, I still at that point wasn't even sure that it really was cancer. I thought for sure the hospital had to have made a mistake. Still in denial. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, they did an x-ray and they found some spots on my lungs. And they said these are very small, but there is one that's large enough to biopsy. So we want to biopsy that. And I said, well, that's not, that's not cancer. Why do you want to biopsy it? That's not cancer. So they said, well, you know, we we need to be sure. So they did a lung biopsy and it came back that it was the same cancer. It had spread. And at that point, the doctor told me because my cancer had spread to a distant organ, it was considered stage four. And stage four colorectal cancer has an 11% five-year survival rate. And I said, wait, so the cancer will be gone in five years? I don't understand. What are you, what are you telling me? And he said, no. And I said, wait, are you saying I'll be gone in five years? That means that I'm going to die in the next five years? And he said, yes, that's, that's what I'm saying. Wow. That's not what you want to hear. It, it was shocking. Did it really, did it hit you at that point? Did you finally take it seriously? You know, I I don't know. There's, there's, it's kind of foggy still when I think about it, because I just, I think I was still in denial that there, it just couldn't be, this couldn't be happening to me. I had always been healthy. I had felt healthy up until the last two weeks before this. So how could this be happening to me? And the doctors told me that with a tumor my size and where it was, it probably was growing for about eight to 10 years. And I was like, how does that happen? How is there something in my body that's trying to kill me for that long? And I didn't know about it. So it was, it was shocking to say the least. So there really is no real reason why it happened. No, I had no risk factors. They still can't tell me. I had no family history. They can't tell me why this happened to me. But it's, unfortunately, it is, we're starting to see patterns of younger people getting colorectal cancer. And it's, it's scary. You know, it used to be thought of as an older person's disease. People over 60 would get it. But the screening age was 50. And now it's been lowered to 45. But even that isn't, that isn't young enough. I was 41. I know people in their 20s. I know an 11-year-old girl who is diagnosed with stage four. And, and how does that happen at, at 11? I mean, she hasn't even lived to be able to, to say, oh, well, you know, I did these things and this caused it. So yeah, they're, they couldn't, they still don't know why, why this happened with me. And I'm sitting here looking at you and you look so radiant and healthy. You. So tell us, you know, as far as I, I'm unfamiliar a lot with the colorectal cancer. I've had other right. forms of cancer in my life from other people can you tell us what the procedures are that you had to deal with? Because I understand that you actually did some other things. You did. Because you were told particular things. So kind of share that with everybody, what you went through your journey. So the first thing they told me was that I would need a temporary colostomy, which was devastating for a 41-year-old female who's active in the film and, and theater world. That just shook me. At that point, I was like, just let me die. I don't want to do this. And my husband said, no, we're, we're going to get through this together. We're, I'm going to be there for you, and we're going to get through this together. So the first thing they did was an emergency temporary colostomy. After that, because of the size of my tumor and where it was, they wanted to start me on chemo. So they wanted to start me on 
a heavy dose of chemo, which frightened me. I did two doses of it, and it was just making me so ill that I said, I, I don't really want to do this anymore. So I worked with a naturopath, and I was able to have a lot of natural supplements involved with my treatment that I feel really helped me. And I know it's not for everybody, but for me, it was a really good path and really helped me a lot. So I did stay on chemo, but I stayed on a lower dose of chemo, and it was an oral chemo that I took twice in the morning and twice at night. So I wasn't having to get infusions regularly because the the two infusions that I did were just so hard on you. They're so hard on your body. After that, I did radiation. I did radiation. I did 25 rounds on the rectal tumor and then five rounds on the lung tumors. And then I had surgery. Well, I should back up. I'm sorry. Before I did radiation, I was very fortunate. My radiation oncologist was amazing. And I went in to meet with him to discuss the radiation. And he said, are you and your husband still thinking about kids? And we don't have any kids now. And it wasn't something that we were really planning on. We travel a lot. We were both very involved in our careers. So we hadn't given a lot of thought to children. And my husband's nine years older than me. So we kind of weren't sure if we were past that point or or what. So he said, if it's something that you're thinking about, I would suggest you see a fertility doctor. And I said, no, I really just want to get treatment done. I want to get this cancer out of my body. I don't want to have it anymore. And he said, just go talk to someone. Know what your options are before you make that decision. And to this day, I am so grateful that he said that to me. So he sent me to a wonderful fertility doctor, Dr. Shane Lipskin, He is at the Arizona Center for Fertility Studies, and he is my guardian angel. He is an incredible doctor, and he told my husband and I all of our options, and there were options at that point. So we went through embryo banking. We did one round, and we were fortunate. We have two embryos now, a girl and a boy, who are just frozen. I'm going to get emotional, who are frozen and just waiting to be implanted, which we hope to do later this year through IVF. So you're going to be the carrier of the child too. Yes, hopefully. Wow. Yeah, which is really amazing. As long as um, my radiation doctor was very specific with my radiation. So as long as my uterus is able to carry the child, which we believe it is, I'll still be able to carry my own child. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And we're very excited about it. Like I said, you know, before this, We weren't sure we wanted to have kids, but cancer takes so much from you. And when you're told suddenly that this isn't an option anymore and you won't be able to have children, it hits you and you suddenly see all those possibilities that that you'll miss out on. And it suddenly became very important to both me and my husband. So like I said, I'm so blessed and fortunate that we still have this option to have children after everything that's that's happened. And you're a pretty active person too, which I, you know, I think that that probably plays a a huge thing with your recovery. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think staying active is so important. You know, I lost when I was first in the hospital, the first time when they first diagnosed me, I was in the hospital for 15 days. I had the one emergency surgery. I lost 20 pounds. Wow. It was devastating. I came out of the hospital and you could see every bone in my body. So through nutrition, through exercise, I kind of built that, built my weight back up. And that absolutely helped my immune system. It helped me mentally stay strong and, and get through the recovery of going through all of that. 
So how long ago were you given the remission status? That was just in February. Wow. Yes, it was just a few months ago. It was a lot. It was, I think, a total of 15 months between chemo, radiation. I had another three surgeries. I had surgery to reverse my temporary colostomy and to remove the tumor. That was a 10 and a half hour surgery. My surgeon, again, is just a miracle worker. He was amazing. And then I had to have a temporary ileostomy while my colon and everything was healing. And so then he was able to reverse that. And now I'm, I'm all put back together and, and everything's working well. I feel really good. And I'm, I'm so thankful to be here and to be able to share my story with people. And I understand that that is your platform when you do the pageants, that you want people to understand that it can happen to anybody, yeah. especially when you least expect it. And, you know, I've had so much cancer in my life. Yeah. And my late husband died when he was 35 from testicular oh, cancer. Gosh. And, you know, it, it just didn't make sense how he could die from something that was very treatable. Right. And sometimes, you know, you have a situation, in his case, it was not the best oncologist and they didn't do the proper follow-up. And I, anytime I hear someone now that has gone through cancer treatments or has been diagnosed with it, I tell them, make sure that you stay on your doctor because a lot of times they get too busy. And in my late husband's case, it was the fact that the doctor said he had too many patients and unless the patient scheduled the appointment to come in and look at the blood test, he didn't have time to deal with it. And that was inevitably what cost my husband his life was just the fact that the doctor didn't care. But there are a lot of great oncologists that we have across the country and and especially here in Arizona. And I know that um, that's probably something you always have to do. You have to continue having the tumor markers tested. Am I correct? Every three months I have um, a blood test and a CT scan for the next two years. So once you get past two years, is that when they give you the all clear? Nope. Then I have another three years where I go every six months. So it's not until I hit the five-year mark that you get the all clear. And then I have to get tested. I believe it's every year. And they don't think there's going to be any chance of reoccurrence? We're hopeful that there won't be. I still take a ton of supplements, even though I'm not on any kind of treatment anymore. I stay, you know, I, I try to stay healthy. I try to stay active. I work out. I eat well. I take supplements. I try to do as much as I possibly can to prevent a recurrence. That's good. Now, I have a, I know this is going to be an off the wall question or sure. just an off the wall statement because, again, you're very healthy. Mm. You not have, you haven't done anything to yourself to bring this right. upon you. So, the average person that's out there that is very healthy and they, you know, everyone says, well, I don't want to get it and I don't think I'm right. going to because I think I'm doing all the right things. What's the kind of advice you could give them as someone who's been in those shoes that has done all the right things, but yet still came down with a cancer diagnosis? I would say definitely be aware of your body. If you do have any kind of odd symptom, don't ignore it. Don't be afraid to talk to your doctor. I was. I was afraid to, you know, talk about any little issues that I had. And I think that For me, I was embarrassed. I think a lot of people, especially when it comes to colorectal issues, GI issues, they are embarrassed to talk about those things, but it's your health and and you can't be. Even if it's your spouse, talk to your spouse, talk to a friend, say, hey, you know, I had this or I have this pain or this has been going on for a little while and encourage people to go get checked. 
don't ignore those little symptoms because the longer you ignore them, they do build in your body. And just because we can't see it physically, it doesn't mean it's not happening. So like I said, until they, they lower the age of screening, even lower than it is now, I think people just have to really be aware of their bodies and any kind of symptoms that they may have. And, and don't be afraid to talk about it. And that's the biggest thing is, you know, and you and I were talking about this before we started the show is the fact that most people are intimidated by it and they're embarrassed by it. They don't want to discuss those kinds of things. And when we don't talk about it, that's when the trouble starts. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's what you and I were talking about before. I think having that openness and, and not being afraid to talk about it, not being embarrassed, you could help somebody. I think that's why this has become so important to me to share my story because I was so afraid and I was so embarrassed, nobody wants to to talk about having a temporary colostomy bag and, and what that means and how you deal with that. And so I just shut down and I didn't want to talk to people about having colorectal cancer and, and having surgery and all the things that that meant, having possible fertility issues. And I looked for other people who were talking about it, who were telling their stories. And I reached out to those people to give me hope And so once I got through it, I said, you know, me being embarrassed and not wanting to talk about this isn't helping anybody. But there are people who are talking about it and them talking about it is helping somebody. And the fact that I'm still here and still alive, I just felt like when you have that, when you go through an experience like that, you don't know why it was you that was saved, but you feel like you have to make a difference now. You have to use your life to make a difference in somebody else's. And so that's why I feel like I need to be out there now. I need to be public about what I went through. And you never know, maybe somebody will hear this and say, you know, I've had some stomach aches going on for a while and maybe I should go get checked. And maybe they'll catch something early because they heard my story. And the cool thing about it is, you know, when when you first walked in here, you just, you exemplify somebody who stands tall on this platform, just you know, and when I found out about your story, it really blew me away because yeah. I've seen a lot of cancer and yeah. it's not a pretty thing. Yeah. And seeing the other side of the tunnel, when you come out the other side and you see how vibrant and beautiful you are. Oh, thank you. You know, it, it shows me that there is hope that people are talking about these things because that's one of my platforms is to talk about cancer. I'm not a survivor. I'm a survivor of other things like domestic abuse. But having so many people in my life die of cancer and not really knowing where to go. Being a caregiver is really, I think being a caregiver makes you a survivor as well. I I saw what my husband went through and how hard that is. And I never thought about it until we had to go through it. And so I give you a lot of credit. Being a caregiver is, is really difficult. Watching somebody you love struggle is very, very difficult. Right, because you feel helpless. You don't know what to do and you don't want to aggravate them because they're already dealing with enough aggravated things going on. And I noticed that, you know, on Facebook, this is something that hit me a couple months ago when you did your first television interview with um, some friends of mine that work at a local station. And your friends had no idea. They were pretty surprised when you put that up there, the interview up on your Facebook And they're like, oh my God, Jennifer, I had no idea you went through this. Yeah. Like I said, I was, I was embarrassed. I, I, you know, looking back now, I think I wish I had reached out more. I wish I had talked about it earlier because I think 
the support I would have gotten from my friends would have been incredible. And staying positive during cancer treatment is so important. I can't stress that enough. That mindset is is huge. Not focusing on the bad, as bad as it is, but focusing on, okay, I'm going to get through this and I'm going to stay positive is so important. And I had a lot of friends who I think would have been there for me, but I let my own embarrassment get in the way. And I regret that now because I see the support system that I have in place. And I wish that I had had more people around to lean on when I went through it. I was fortunate, though, to have the friends I did, my family, my husband. So that was that was really great. But I think talking about it more would have given me an even bigger support system. And I know in my late husband's case, it was kind of scary for him because, you know, he was all about this long mullet hair that he had, yeah. beautiful hair. And I remember when he lost all his hair due to the chemo yeah. and the radiation. And it was difficult because yeah. his coworkers, there were two, which were the bosses, and they would come over and see him because the one boss's wife had cancer. So he got it. Right. But his best friend and some of his other friends had a real hard time wanting to come visit him because they just couldn't see him in that current state. Yeah. And it's not always easy as the friend group right. to come around that. But that is something that, you know, it, it's very difficult as the person going through the illness, as you are aware. Right. And you don't know how you're going to be accepted. You don't know Absolutely. If, you, if you even want to say something to anybody. And to me, that's the biggest thing is being able to communicate and just being honest and open with everyone involved and say, you know, I get it. You might be afraid to see me, but I'm not going to die. Just come hang out with me. Yeah. I, and you're absolutely right. I think that I did go through that. Um, I didn't, I had lost, like I said, I lost 20 pounds. I was all skin and bones and I didn't lose my hair, but I didn't know if I was going to, I didn't know what was going to happen. I certainly wasn't putting makeup on and doing my hair every day. And those were things that I did all the time. I never went out without makeup on. I always was put together. So I was afraid to have people see me in this sick state and and what were they going to think? And, you know, were they going to look at me and think, oh my gosh, she looks like she's dying and she looks horrible. And, you know, you you internalize it and you're like, I don't want people to to see me this way. But I think a lot of people too, they're not judging you. They know you're sick. They're not going, oh, wow, did you see she didn't brush her hair today? But that, I think that mental state sticks with you. And so you're afraid to let people see you vulnerable like that. Yeah. And I, you know, I really encourage everybody and I know it's a difficult place to be in. And I can't say that I've been there on that side. I've been on the other side as we have talked about. And it's just, to me, I can, I can understand that. Yeah. I can understand that because you're in a vulnerable position and it's, you're not only trying to fight this thing that's this alien being in your body. Right. Why have to worry about what everyone else thinks? Right. Exactly. And, you know, and that's the tough part. So I, I commend anybody that has to fight that battle because it's not an easy one. It's not. It's not. And, you know, back to something you said earlier um, when you were talking about your your husband and what he went through with his doctor, I think it's something for people to really be aware of, people who are going through treatment. Doctors don't always know the best route for you. You really have to be your own best advocate. I went to a surgeon who told me that because of the location of my tumor, that my colostomy would be permanent. And I was devastated. It was 
heartbreaking to me to think that my life was going to be completely changed that way. And I've met a lot of people who do have permanent ones. And I understand now that it's, it is a lifestyle change, but you can still lead an amazing life with a permanent colostomy. But hearing that, I was so devastated. And the doctor was so not compassionate. And he said, you know, I, I suggest you see a psychologist. And I was hysterical crying. And he got up and he walked out of the room and he left the door open And his nurse came in and gave me tissues. And my husband said, we're going to get a second opinion. And I did. I got a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth opinion. I found a surgeon who said, I don't think this has to be permanent. Let's get an MRI. Let's take a look at things. I think we can reverse this for you. And thank God I, I went to him and I did have it reversed. But it was me being my own advocate. It was me not just saying, okay, well, this is what the doctor says, so I'm just going to follow along this plan. Same with my chemo treatment. I didn't feel that going with the heavy-dose chemo was the right way for me. I wanted to explore other options before I went that route. And, you know, so I had to look into other doctors that were willing to let me be my own advocate. And so... You know, I think it's so important that people don't just say, well, the doctor said this and they're an expert so they know. You have to fight for yourself. You have to fight for for your body and for your life. And that's the biggest misconception that most people have is when you have a doctorate, you think you know everything. And it's like, no. And it's like you said earlier, you know your own body. You you know what's right and what's wrong. And, And you had a chosen career where having a bag outside of your body was not going to be functionable right. for you. exactly. And I like that because you become your own hero and you take on a bigger fight. Yeah, you absolutely have to. And it's it's scary because you. Do, I think we, you know, when you have a doctor, a doctor's been through schooling, they know about more medical things than I do. So, of course, I felt like I should be listening to them. But at the same time, I knew nobody was going to fight for me the way I was going to fight for me. And I needed to feel that I had some control over my life. I felt like cancer had just taken everything and I needed to take control back over my life. And the only way to do that was to take some control over the care I was getting and who my doctor was going to be, what chemo I was going to be on, what surgery I was going to have. And and I'm so glad that I did. And now, you know, we're going to go right into the whole pageant thing again, because (laughs) I'm not a big fan of pageants. And the thing I like about you is you actually have a real platform. Not that I'm taking Mm -hmm. anything away from any other women in pageants. So please don't say that. But y'all know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's too bubblegummy for me. I want to see, I don't want to see the standard answers that always come around. Well, I want to make the world a better place. I want to have world peace. I don't want to see war. None of us want that. Right. But you have something that, I mean, Katie Couric is the only person I know of yeah. that has ever spoken publicly about this. And that was a long time ago when her yeah. husband, I believe her husband passed away from that. I think so. Yeah. So she went and had the colonoscopy and she talked about it on the right. news, but then it just disappeared. Right. Well, and now Alex Trebek, right? I believe, is going through cancer treatment. I think uh, Sharon Osborne had colon cancer, but I think hers was found very early because I remember reading something that she said that, you know, just because you have colon cancer, you don't need a colostomy bag. Well, it happened to be like, it's different for everybody. It depends on where your tumor is and how low or how high or the size. I I know other people who've 
had colon cancer that haven't needed a colostomy bag. I know people that have had stage two that needed a permanent colostomy bag. I was stage four. So it really just just depends. So there have been some people that talked about it, but you're right. It, it, they talk about it and then it goes away. And we can't let that happen. We have to keep fighting for it. And there's some amazing organizations out there. Fight CRC is is great. Um, the Colorectal Cancer Alliance is wonderful. And there are organizations that are trying to, you know, put faces to it and put a name to it. And they're doing amazing things for the community to try and educate people ab- about the disease. And now you actually have a crown and a sash that can help give you that platform, I which is do. really cool because... People look at beautiful women wearing crowns and sashes, and you are beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you so you're, much. You're so radiant. And thank you. Guys, you'll see a picture. I'll post it up when we post the show, but stunning. And thank the fact you. that people will actually look at you as a spokesperson for this, and it's a great platform to have. So what are you doing now with the pageant system? So I'm currently Mrs. Maricopa County, and I am possibly going to the Mrs. United States pageant in August. I am currently trying to raise sponsorship for that to go and represent Arizona at the United States national pageant. How exciting is that? Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 a, big, it's a very big stage, but I think the platform to bring this attention to this disease is really important. And most people would look at these women at a beauty pageant and not think somebody would have colorectal cancer. Right. Yeah, they they wouldn't think that you're a survivor of that. Exactly. Well, you know, I think that's something that that I got a lot too. People would say, oh, well, you don't look sick. But my scars are hidden. You know, you don't see the emotional scars that cancer causes. You don't see the scars on my stomach from surgery. That's all hidden. I didn't lose my hair so you know, I gained my weight back. So I I look like I did before I was sick. So yeah, I think going to a national pageant like that and and being able to say, I am a survivor of this. And just because I don't look sick doesn't mean I didn't survive this, I think is really important. Now, I know this is really crazy for me to say, but I've done this in the past with domestic violence. I showed pictures of myself side by side being in the relationship that was very toxic. Oh, wow. And then the next picture being out of that relationship. And the difference in three months was tremendous. Oh, wow. I looked 10 years older in the the older picture than I did in the more recent picture. And then I did it again a year apart. And I looked even younger in the newer picture than I did 10 years prior. That is fascinating. So I'm curious if you would ever be brave enough to do a side-by-side like that just to prove your point because that's something that I have found on social media really raises the bar and gets people to think because they're, you know, even though that was a good picture because I have a professional photographer here, Byron Medina, who's amazing. I know Byron. I knew He's wonderful. Yes, him and Sylvia are amazing. And I had a picture done in 2014 when I was in one of the worst caustic relationships I've ever been in, very toxic you know, verbally abusive and emotionally. And then three months out, I did another photo shoot and I couldn't believe the changes. And then Byron did it a few years later. And again, just the dramatic changes on my face. That's amazing. And people don't realize that. It's almost like you have to show them because 
as you say, they don't see the scars because they're hidden below the surface. Exactly. And even though we have the scars on the body that are hidden by clothing, we right. still have the emotional battle scars that we face when we go through facing illnesses, whatever the case may be, depression, domestic abuse, anything like that. No one sees the scars below the surface. Absolutely. And depression is a big one. I, I battled depression the entire time I was in treatment. I mean, being afraid that you're going to die every day is so hard on your body and on your heart and on your mind. So that would actually be interesting to see pictures, you know, before I was sick, during, and then now and see what the changes are. And even like you said, even a year from now to see, you know, how those emotional scars have played out. That That's I would, I would be interested in doing that. That's really cool. Yeah, it's a great idea because in a world where we live so quick moment to moment right. and we're always looking at social media, always looking at things on television, it's boom, 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 boom. That sets a standard right. because people will look at that and say, holy cow. Yeah. And you, you're an actor. You know how you assume a character role right. and you get into that role. But this is real life. Yeah. And if you show somebody real life photographs of that transition from health to being sick back to health again, then they get a clue. It's like, yeah, yeah you really did go through this. Yeah. And, and you have to slap them with reality. Unfortunately, that's kind of the way it is. Yeah, absolutely. So tell everybody how they find you on social media, speaking of social media, so we can get you some sponsorships to go after that, that wonderful pageant I crown. I love that. Yes, I am looking for sponsors for the Mrs. United States pageant. The pageant will be coming up the very beginning of August, and you can find me on Facebook. If you just look for Mrs. Maricopa County, Jennifer Ruddle, you will find my Facebook page, and it has all of my information. My story is on there. How you can sponsor me is on there, and ways to get involved with the colorectal cancer community. You know, I can't thank you enough for coming in here today and sharing your story. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Well, I applaud everybody and anybody that uses a platform to help other people. And, you know, I've had so many people that I've crossed paths with, and especially here in the studio with all the different shows that I produce. It's really cool when I see somebody who's been down there in the trenches, having to experience things in life. And they just take their life back and they do something amazing by sharing their story and stepping out there and being brave. So thank you thank for you. coming out of the shadows and into the light to put a spotlight on colorectal cancer. Thank you. Thank you so much.